About 20 years ago, I participated in my first and my last theater performance when I lived in Bennettsville, South Carolina. I was serving in a church at that time doing youth ministry, and one of my faithful adult advisors uh, happened to be the local director of our theater program in Bennettsville, and she happened to be directing the musical Grease. So she asked me to audition for a particular role, the role of duty, if you're familiar with the musical Grease duty. Now, I had never even seen Greece before, just so you know, and much less acted in a play. And Tramella Cheney can tell you, I was never in drama in high school when I was here. But she needed someone who could play guitar and who could sing. And as you can imagine, she was very hard up to find somebody to do that by asking me. Now, I didn't want to do it, but she twisted my arm, so to speak, because every Sunday she was there helping me with our youth group, and she was even going on weekend retreats with me, so it was kind of hard to say no. So, I auditioned, and guess what? I got the role. I actually had a lot of fun, and we ended up uh, selling out four shows, and in our theater there, it sat about 350 people. So in Bennettsville, a little farm town, to sell out four shows was a big deal, and it was a big deal. Everyone came to the performance, and I played just a small part in it. But in my part, I had a solo performance in which I played and sang the guitar to those magic changes and was in a large portion of the script. And so the last night that we performed together, everyone in the show was very comfortable with the show at that point. We'd done it several times and we knew what was going on and we were all having fun together, but I went off script in one of the scenes. It was a funny moment and I hammed it up to get laughs and I have to tell you, it absolutely worked. Everyone was laughing hysterically, but after the show, our director came to me and told me that I had upstaged Sonny. Not being a drama person, I didn't know what she meant by saying I had upstaged someone. So when I asked her about it, she pointed back to when I went off script. Sonny, you see, was supposed to be the funny person in that moment. But I had stolen his thunder. And he didn't seem to care about it at all. But my actions had drawn attention to myself at the expense of the one who was supposed to get the applause. Have you ever upstaged someone? Often I see this in sports. When a player decides to take control, going off script, so to speak, trying to lead the team to victory only by themselves. We might call them a ball hog because they want all of the glory. Or this can also happen in our jobs when the goal is to to make the company look good, but individual employees are more focused on climbing the corporate ladder at the expense of their own colleagues. Glory is the word that defines what we're after, getting all the praise, acknowledgement, and recognition. Who doesn't want to be acknowledged or praised for doing something well? We all want affirmation, but the problem lies when we become self-centered in our desire for the spotlight to be the one who gets all of the glory and not afraid to upstage anyone in order to get it. Today, as we wrap up our sermon series on the five solas, we come to the very last one, glory to God alone. And let me begin by saying that God doesn't have an ego. 
In other words, God does not need our praise and our glory for him in order to be God. Giving God glory isn't about making God's head swell and making him feel better about himself. The reformers understood this too, and they understood this phrase, glory to God alone, in relation to our salvation. They proclaimed that no one could earn their salvation by good works or obedience, that our salvation is a gift of God's grace alone, through faith alone, proclaimed in Scripture alone, and secured by Christ alone. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks together. Therefore, the only appropriate response is to give God the glory for what God alone has done for us. No individual should receive that praise. No emperor or political figure should receive that praise. Glory must be given to God alone. In other words, we can't upstage God when it comes to grace, faith, or salvation. In the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew word kabod is glory. In reference to God, it means heaviness or weightiness, which implies the importance and uniqueness of God. It's Moses who prayed that God would show him his glory, which in essence asked God to show himself to him in all of his majestic presence and power to be made known to Moses. Well, in that moment, God's glory was so radiant that God had to put Moses in the cleft of a rock and to put his own hand over him as he passed by. Otherwise, Moses would have died. The Greek word in the New Testament, doxa, in reference to God, means to praise God for his glory and his splendor. You recognize it most clearly in our worship service. We use this little word that comes from this called the doxology, in which we praise God from whom all blessings flow. When we see the glory of God, it reminds us of who we are in light of who God is. We are reminded that we are not saviors. Or capable of delivering people from death to life. We're not able to create something out of nothing, much less to speak the earth into existence or manage its place in the universe. It's the psalmist in Psalm 19 who tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So whenever we see the beauty of an evening sunset, or the beauty of the sunrise over the horizon, or even the vastness of the stars in the, in the darkness of the night sky, we behold the glory of God. When we see the innocence of a newborn baby or hear the music of birds singing softly early in the morning, we behold the glory of God. When we hear the thunder roll and we see the lightning strike in the sky, we behold the glory of God. And like the psalmist, we must declare, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And who are we that you are mindful of us, that you care for us? In the book of Revelation, John receives a vision from God in which he's caught up in the spirit into heaven. And God welcomes him through an open door and he peeks through to see what's going on. And John says, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. 
John reports only what he sees, God sitting on his throne in all his glory. And there's a rainbow that encircled the throne. Flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder come from the throne. And surrounding God are 24 elders all seated on their own thrones. In the center of the room, there are four awesome-looking creatures who surround the throne that God sits on, and day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever these creatures give glory and honor to God, the 24 elders, they fall down before God and they lay down their golden crowns before the Lord saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now that's a picture, isn't it? A picture of heaven. A picture of worship. In heaven, in which these 24 elders represent the church, the whole church, maybe the Old and the New Testaments, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples of Jesus. And we see these creatures that seem weird to us, in fact, somewhat scary to us. But we get this portrait of these uh, these creatures in Isaiah as well, these cherubim. And their faces, they represent creation. A lion, an eagle, an ox, and even a creature who had the face of a man. And all of them worship God who sits on the throne. All of them bow down and worship to the one who sits on the throne and who rules over heaven and earth. You see, there's no upstaging in heaven. Every creature, every elder offers appropriate worship to the God of heaven and earth who created them, who redeemed them, and who sustains them. And they sing together in perfect harmony, a heavenly choir completely in tune and in sync with one another. It's beautiful and it's glorious. But that's not the portrait that we see here on this earth, is it? That's the vision that John gets of heaven. Here on earth, there are competing claims for glory and for worship. Upstaging shows its ugliness in self-promotion, self-preservation, and in self-centeredness. We live in a world where we fight for praise. And truth be told, self-promotion is far easier now than ever thanks to the internet and to social media platforms. Today it's about how many followers you have or how many likes you get or how many people subscribe to your channel fame acknowledgement and money perpetuate narcissism in our society whereas self-preservation leads people to act crazy treating others with no self-worth it's about that time isn't it as we move towards advent That time, that day we know as Black Friday when people act crazy and they go to shopping malls and they stand there for hours waiting and waiting for the doors to open in which they stampede one another in order to get that perfect Christmas gift before somebody else grabs it off the shelf. That's self-preservation 
Supply and demand issues relating to COVID have made what's already a mess even messier. Survival of the fittest rules the day, whether it's our approach to dealing with our COVID impatience or simply getting what we see as the necessities of life. And self-centeredness ultimately is what drives all of it. When the goal is all self-focused, then we miss what we were created for. We get out of sync, and thus chaos and disunity reigns supreme. It's kind of like if the instrumentalists of a symphony orchestra were all competing for one another as they were there to present their music to all of you. It would be an absolute nightmare. There would be no melody. There would be no harmony. Just clamoring noise you see we forget that we were created by god to glorify his name it's jesus who teaches us to pray the disciples asked how lord should we pray he says pray in this way and we know that as the lord's prayer and in that prayer we pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name We do not pray for our own name to be made holy. Instead, we pray for God's kingdom and power and glory to be made known in this world. And glory to God alone means that we recognize that we are here because of God and that our lives are meant to display the beauty and the picture of the vision of heaven. Isn't that what we pray for? That God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven heaven now if you remember back five weeks ago when i began this series with you and we talked about christ alone i talked to you about a man by the name of nicholas copernicus does anyone remember that that's been a while but nicholas copernicus is the one who revolutionized the thinking that the planets revolve around the sun instead of the prevailing thought that the sun rotated around the earth As we understand that God is at the center of the universe, we also understand that we revolve around God. Therefore, our role is not to outshine the sun, but to reflect his glory. In other words, maybe we should be more like the moon. The moon doesn't generate light on its own. It only reflects the light that shines upon it. It can certainly get our attention in the darkness of the night sky, but it's only because it's reflecting what's at the center of everything, the sun. And if the sun didn't exist, the moon would just be an unseen rock. But God has properly positioned the moon so that it will reflect the light and offer light in the midst of the darkness. Isn't that what John tells us in his vision He says, surrounding the throne were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had golden crowns on their heads. Who's positioned in the center? Me? You? The angels? No. God. God is seated on his throne, radiating all of his glory upon all who worship him in the throne room of heaven. And so this vision reminds us of our calling here on earth. Glory to God alone means that we recognize our place considering who God is and what God has done for us. 
rather than seeking to be the star of the show or thinking that our self-worth is wrapped up in who likes us or in what we have, we understand the radical love and the grace of our God who comes to us in Jesus Christ and shows us how to live. It is God who leaves that throne in the center of heaven and comes to this earth for you and me. And that's what we will celebrate in Advent. An anticipation that the Messiah comes to us. That God leaves that glory here and receives nothing but scorn here for us. Jesus tells us that he is the true light of the world. And the truth is, we are little lights, so to speak, called to reflect the light of the one and only Christ the King who sits on his throne ruling the world with justice and with righteousness. For Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Our lights shine to bring glory not to ourselves, but to the Father alone. So as we celebrate this Christ the King Sunday, may we all be reminded that we're not here to garner the glory and praise for ourselves. That we are here to point to the one who is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power, Christ the Lord. And our job is to play our role that's been assigned to us by the great director, to the best of our ability, so that God alone might receive all the glory. For as the psalmist declares, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and faithfulness. Friends, may we give all of the glory to God, both this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.